You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. All right, so tonight, and tonight I'm going to put up the um, screen share section, but I don't think I'm going to leave it up all, all night. There's not all that much on it, uh, but you'll be able to see what it is that we're going to study. We'll be in Galatians 5, verses 16 to 18, in a section uh, that we've called Spirit versus Flesh, uh, because it'll say uh, the Spirit and it'll say flesh a whole lot in these three verses, and how they're in opposition to one another. So our text is going to be verses 16 to 18. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So we have spirit, flesh, and law. We have the leading of the spirit. We have the desires of the flesh. And we find out we are not under law. So what we see in this is that there's there's two paths. There's two paths for uh, us to follow. Uh, the way of the spirit and the way of the flesh. We see, uh, it points out often in this very short reading, these are in opposition to one another, and the believer's way is to be led by the spirit. So Galatians 5, 16 to 18. What we find in the context of where we are, we had just read the closing argument that Paul made in the doctrinal section of the book of Galatians, which is the first 15 verses of chapter 5. And those first 15 verses of chapter 5 ended with this recap of that argument. Verse 13, For you were called for freedom, or to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you will love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. And so that's how Paul ended the argument about uh, following the law uh, versus following the gospel. How the gospel was that that better way, because back in chapter 2, uh, if we hit the highest of the highlights, it says we, chapter 2, six, verse 16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So if you want to be justified, you're going to go with the gospel. And we see that this is uh, the way going all the way back to Abraham, uh, chapter 3, verse 6. So Abraham believed God. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, to be sure, it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. We find out there's a lot of other sons of Abraham running around, but they were not of the promise, and they were not of faith. And they were held under the law uh, as slaves or as uh, those in bondage. Uh, and they were often in the flesh, 
And Paul contrasted that with the fleshly son uh, that Abraham had, that fleshly son named Ishmael. And none of the Jews would wish to be, uh, you know, like uh, uh, that son Ishmael. But if they didn't live by faith, uh, we find that they were, in fact, in that very position. So chapter 4, So we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, and we might receive the adoption as sons. Because your sons, God has sent forth his spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So we went back to read that, because this is where Paul, in one of the several mentions in the book of Galatians, talks about the importance of the Spirit. And as we get to the this practical or ethical section of the book of Galatians, he starts with, you are going to be led by the Spirit. This is where Christian uh, practice begins. This is where Christian morality begins. This is where uh, Christian conduct begins, being led by the Spirit. We walk by the Spirit in verse 16 and also in uh, verse 18, uh, we are going to be uh, led by the Spirit. So we're going to walk in the Spirit, and we're going to be led by the Spirit. Paul had pointed out uh, earlier that it was only in the Gospel that you even had the Spirit. What did you know of the Holy Spirit before the Gospel? This is one of the great revelations of the Gospel. It's in the Gospel that God is truly known. We think about God being known in the Old Testament, Right? And God revealed himself greatly in the Old Testament. And uh, he uh, told us about his creation. He told us about his mighty hand. He told us uh, about his wondrous loving care and his covenant keeping. He told us many things about himself and about the way he was in the Old Testament. But with the Old Testament alone, who knew the Son and who knew the Spirit? No one did, right? No one did. Uh, they were both there, and with a Christian reading of the Old Text, can we not find the Spirit? Uh, can we not uh, see the Spirit's activity? And can we not see the Son, particularly the Son in prophecy? right? And so uh, when the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand, uh, that's revealed in the New Testament for us that that's uh, the Father and the Son, right? And that is the Lord of David, the both of them. And so uh, we find the Son only in the gospel, in uh, being revealed to us and made known. And so also we find the Spirit being made known to us. So how important is the Spirit to us as Christians? But without the gospel, who would even know? What did Paul ask some people, even who were disciples of John the Baptist? They had believed in that beginning message of the gospel, to repent and be baptized and uh, to believe in the Messiah who was coming. And in Acts 19, uh, the apostle Paul would ask them, if they received the Spirit when they were baptized, because they were baptized by John. And they said, we don't even know if there is a Spirit, right? So where would we be without the gospel in regard to the Spirit? We'd be in the same place as those good disciples. We'd be saying, I, I don't even know if there is a Spirit. And we might be like the Pharisees and Sadducees, uh, one of whom had rightly concluded on the testimony of Scripture that there was a resurrection, and the other had said there was not. And, you know, is an argument amongst the Jews. We know the, Sadducees, the Pharisees turned out to be right and the Sadducees turned out to be wrong. 
But did the Sadducees have a case to make? Well, they had something of a case to make. And could the Pharisees convincingly refute them? The Pharisees could not, right? And so uh, that was a thing that you might conclude, and faithfully people, faithful people did rightly conclude, there was a resurrection. And so if we didn't have the gospel, if we just had the law, what would we be saying about the Spirit? Might we have two opinions like the Sadducees and Pharisees did on the resurrection? Might we have some disputes about what we conclude? But what would be clearly revealed? So the Spirit by whom we are now led, and who is so important to us, that is a gospel-only situation, right? That is a, gospel, a uniquely gospel thing. And now all over the world, how many heretical cults, how many hardly Christian things, how many of them uh, talk about the Holy Spirit? Oh, man, he's, he's been barred all over. But where is he from? Where is he revealed? Where is he made known? And so we as Christians, we have this. As Paul had said back in chapter 3, he says, this is, the only, this is the only thing I want from you. I want you to answer this question. Chapter 3, verse 2. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, that you're now perfected by the flesh? Yeah, so this going back to the law, yeah, if you want to go back to the law, you're going to give up the Spirit and everything that comes with the Spirit. Or chapter 3, verse 5. So then, does he provide you with the Spirit and works miracles among you? Did, it do, did he do that by the works of the law or with the hearing with faith? So the miracles you see, the Spirit that's with you, did that come by the gospel or did that come by the law? Well, it came by the gospel. And we're so glad of it. There's our comfort, chapter 4. Because you are sons, God sent forth his spirit into uh, the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So there, there's a difference between those led by the spirit and those now who are uh, following the law and following the way of works. So Christians have the spirit. Christians are comforted by the Spirit. Again, He comes to our hearts, and we, by which we cry, Abba, Father. And so there should be a marked difference, and this is where we come to Christian morality and the practical effects of the gospel on us. There should be a marked difference in the lives of those who have the Spirit, who know the Spirit, who have fellowship with the Spirit, and the guidance and truth that He brings. There should be a difference in them and those of the flesh. Those who follow the law, Paul says, you know, we're kind of, we're disappointed, but we're kind of not surprised because the law left them in the flesh. You people, though, are Christians, have the Spirit. And so there should be, and there always has been, a marked difference by those who live by the flesh and those who live by the Spirit. Going back to that Abraham uh, uh, sons, uh, Isaac and Ishmael, back in chapter 429, he said, at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born of, according to the Spirit. And so there is a difference in, uh, in those who are of the flesh and those who are the Spirit in their conduct. Uh, we are talking now about Christian conduct, and you need to act like fully and completely that you are led by the Spirit. So being led by the flesh and following the flesh, there's nothing special about that at all. Who can do that? everybody. You don't need to be redeemed for that. Uh, you don't need to have faith for that. Uh, you just do what you want to do, and you can uh, then do the desires of the flesh, right? Because the, the flesh, 
the flesh has what it wants. And we within ourselves all know uh, how often what our flesh wants and how often we have to tell our flesh, no, 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 right? The flesh has its desires. The flesh wants to do what the flesh wants to do. And restraining and constraining the flesh, uh, th- that is uh, you know, part of Christian sanctification, part of the holiness that we are called to and that we are to exercise in Christ. And, uh, well, what does the Westminster Confession say? It's a continual war. There's a continual state of war within as we do that. Well, imagine those who don't have the faith, who don't have the spirit. When they do try to constrain the flesh, what tools do they do it with? Willpower. All right, well, that works some. Some have more willpower than others. Um, Social norms. Fear of consequences. Those are tools that help people keep control of the flesh. But as we look around the world today, are those sufficient tools to have us lead a good life and a holy life? Uh, Is that enough? Are those sufficient tools uh, to uh, keep the flesh constrained and to uh, a life that's uh, holy and and moral and uh, befitting the gospel to which we're called? No, it's not. Uh, These are the words uh, of a fellow who was raised by a devout Christian mother. He became a very famous songwriter. But these are the words of a man raised by a devout Christian mother. He had this song, not not a new song, it was released in 1969. One of my favorite years, as it turns out. But uh, 1969. He says, I'm going off the deep end. I'm slowly losing my mind. I disagree with the way I'm living, but I can't hold myself in line. You give me no reason for drinking, but I can't stand myself at times. You're better off just to leave and forget me, because I can't hold myself in line. Hey, my weakness is stronger than I am. Guess I've been lose I guess I've always been the losing kind. Now I'm full speed ahead down the wrong road of life. And I can't hold myself in line. Yes, I'm going off the deep end. I'm slowly losing my mind. I disagree with the way that I'm living. But I can't hold myself in line. Now, if that sounds like it might make a good country song, I, I think it would. I think it did, because that's Merle Haggard. But you think, man, that guy needs to get a grip. But what does he say? He says, I can't control myself. And you read a biography of Merle Haggard, and what could he not do with himself? He so very often could not control himself. And now I realize there's a bit of tongue-in-cheek, and there's a bit of hyperbole in every sad song country lyric. But there's a reason why that guy wrote that. And there's a reason why it made it through all of the different people and hands and thoughts and minds of the people who are responsible for a professional recording of things, right? That's not a one-man job. There's a lot of people got to sign off. And then once he starts singing that to an audience, there's a reason why it strikes a chord with them and it sells records. And there's a reason why when he sings that in concert, people sing along. And as it turns out, he pretty well echoes the Apostle Paul. Paul says, For we know the law is spiritual, but I'm a flesh sold into the bondage of sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like, but I do the very thing I hate. I can't keep myself in line. Sorry, that's the other one. 
I'm doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I don't want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one who's doing it, but the sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. Now, that sounds as much like a sad country song as the other one did, didn't it? And that is our state without the Spirit. Without the Spirit to lead us, without the Spirit to guide us, this is where we end up. So, verse 17. Now, we have the Spirit. The flesh sets its desire against the Spirit. Yeah, Paul and Merle both said that. And the Spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another, so you may not do the things that you please. Well, we recognize we shouldn't do those things which we please. We recognize uh, so often in our fleshly desires, we recognize they're self-destructive even while we do them, right? Well, then why don't we just not do them? Well, because Paul said uh, that the sin is doing it. That sin that dwells in me is what's doing it. It's almost like I'm not doing it myself. Or again, uh, as Merle said, my weakness is stronger than I am. I guess I've always been the losing kind. But when it comes to the battle against sin, who's the losing kind? All of us, right? We've all been the losing kind against sin, except now, except now in the battle for sin, we have a powerful ally on our side, right? We have Christ who died for our sins and uh, forgave us of sins and cleansed our conscience. We have the Spirit sent to our hearts uh, to write on our hearts the, the law and uh, uh, commands of God uh, so that uh, we can take these things to heart and we can uh, live them in heart. Uh, uh, Hebrews 8, verse 10, the prophecy of Jeremiah, the great thing that's coming. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I'll put my law into their minds, and I'll write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And so this newfound uh, presence that we have in the family of God, this adoption as sons, right? As Paul said, uh, from which the Spirit is sent to us that we can cry, Abba, Father, back in chapter 4 of this letter. So now we have the, this great help against sin. One who died for sin. Uh, we have the, 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 the binding of Satan, uh, who was uh, running roughshod over people and holding them uh, in uh, fear of death and keeping them in slavery all their lives. That's from the book of Hebrews. Uh, now we have uh, Christ uh, and the, the work that he did. We have the example, uh, 1 Peter 2, 21. Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps. And then we have the Spirit who is in our hearts and minds through the law of God uh, to help us. So we don't have to always be fully in charge of ourselves and keep our own selves in line because uh, we're with him and we're in fellowship with him, and we're strengthened by him, and we have power through him against these things. And so we are going to be led by the Spirit, but that is not if you're under the law. Verse 18, for if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. See, this, this help of the Spirit doesn't come to any of these folks who are saying, I'm going to keep the law for righteousness. I'm going to keep the law for salvation. I'm going to keep the law. No, you're going to live by faith 
in Christ. And so this direction and this help uh, that is uh, in our hearts and in our very being, uh, this comes by the Spirit, which comes by the gospel, which doesn't come by the flesh and doesn't come by the law. So we are Spirit-led. And again, that means the Spirit directs our hearts and guides our hearts and writes His, His, His mind and His law on our hearts. And so uh, we are not self-led. We're not totally inward-led in the sense of we're the origin. Uh, that would just be self again if we're the origin. But if He's the origin and it's in our hearts, then it can be effective there in Christ uh, to help us. And so on many points of morality, the law and the gospel externally look the same. There's many of the same prohibitions, both in the law and the gospel. It's hard to think of too many things that would be immoral in the law, but would have been moral in the gospel. Or and vice versa, it's hard to think of very many things that would be immoral uh, in the gospel, but would have been moral in the law. Well, there's a few things that I think were at least allowed under the law, but we didn't have allowed under the gospel. And polygamy might be a notable case. And there might be a few others. But externally, on the acts themselves, we're not going to see a great deal of difference. And so sometimes it's kind of hard to tell if you see a list of things. Is this, um, is this a, a gospel uh, instruction? Or is this an instruction of the law when it comes to morality? Now, sometimes if you structure them like, say, the Ten Commandments, oh, I recognize where that comes from. That's the law, and we're not under the law. And then people go, oh, yeah, does that mean I can commit a mur murder and adultery now and those kind of things? No, because that's against the gospel too. But if we didn't structure the Ten Commandments as the Ten, and especially if we didn't include the Sabbath, we'd be hard-pressed to say, is that guy talking about the morality of the law, or is that guy talking about the morality of the gospel? But if we're talking about the things of the gospel, then our motivation is to do them because Christ instructed, right? The things of the law, uh, the motivation was, uh, don't do it because God said not to. Uh, the motivation often in the gospel should be, I, I do this uh, because Christ has saved me. And that might end up being just about the single most, uh, you know, major difference in gospel morality and law morality is motivation. But it's not just motivation that's different. It's the help of the Spirit we see that's different as well. Uh, or consi consider this where Paul starts talking about the law, and before he's done, he starts talking about the gospel. And the list of things in here that uh, he talks about in the moral sense, well, these are the same under both. But what guides us now, Paul will say? The gospel. So 1 Timothy 1, verse 5. The goal of our instruction, so that's what the preaching of the gospel is, our instruction. What's its goal? It's love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's what we're really after. Pure hearts, good consciences, sincere faith based in Christ. For some, though, for some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they don't understand either the things they're saying or the matters about which they make confident assertion. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing that the law is not made for a righteous person, but, and now here's what the law was for, the law was for uh, the lawless and the rebellious, the ungodly and the sinner, the unholy and profane, those who kill father and mother for murderers, 
for immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers. Now, what does he say? Whatever else is, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I've been entrusted. And so that list of things, that list of sinful uh, uh, things for which the law was made, those are also contrary to what? They're contrary to the sound teaching of the gospel. And so if you'd ask, well, uh, 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 profanity, because it's unholy and profane, uh, murderers, uh, immoral, homosexuals, kidnappers, is that against the law or is that against the gospel? Well, it's against both, right? It's against both. And so there's a lot of overlap between the morality of the law and the morality of the gospel. But with the gospel, uh, there's a whole different motivation and a whole different toolkit, as it were, to deal with these things. And so the gospel of God's grace, Paul would say, instructs us. The gospel of God's grace instructs us. The law instructs us, but the gospel instructs us as well. In Titus chapter 2, uh, Titus was supposed to say the things that befitted sound doctrine. For the older men, that was a temperance, uh, dignity, uh, to be dig- temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith and love and perseverance. For the older women, that was to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, not enslaved to much wine. Teachers of what's good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so the word of God may not be dishonored. The young men, to be sensible, to be an example uh, uh, in good deeds, in doctrine, and uh, purity in doctrine, and dignified. Sound speech above reproach, so the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. For bondservants, being subject to their masters in everything, uh, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, showing all good faith, so they will adorn the doctrine of our God and our Savior in every respect. That's a lot of moral content that Paul had Titus to teach to the brethren. And the reason is, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to everyone, to all men, instructing. So the grace appeared and the grace instructs. So the gospel instructs in this morality. This is the gospel morality. Denying ungodliness and worldly desires to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So there was all this moral content. It was taught to us by the grace of God, it was empowered in us and, and uh, made alive in us through Jesus Christ, who died to redeem us from the, the opposite of that, the lawless deeds, and to purify a people for his own possession. So there's Christian morality, a purified people for his own possession. So again, that, that list externally might look an awful lot like the things of the law. But it's for a different purpose. It's to glorify Christ. It's to show uh, his uh, grace active in us. It's to uh, help us uh, to come to be uh, sanctified vessels, holy vessels of God, uh, to bring out 
his glory in this world through the gospel of his son that he sent. So that's Christian morality. But under the law, uh, you didn't have that uh, help. You didn't have that motivation. You, but now as Christians, having been called to this higher thing than the law, you certainly wouldn't want to live worse than that, right? You certainly, as a Christian, can't live in the flesh, right? Verse 16 again, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. So the walk in the Spirit of God, uh, recognizing what Christ has done, living as Christ has called us to live, following his example, following his teaching with what the grace of God instructs us, we won't do the fleshly things. And we're empowered to not do them uh, by the greater grace that's in Christ. Again, the flesh, verse 17, sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. So that's why we have this war within us, because there's these two parties, these two parts uh, that are in opposition. And which do we lean to? And which do we lean into? Which do we depend upon? Uh, when it comes down to it, which one do we follow? That desire of the flesh or that instruction of the Spirit by the grace of Christ? They're in opposition, so you can't do what you please. Yeah, we still, in our own lust. We still in our own weakness. We want to do things that aren't by the instruction, but we're led by the Spirit. We must be, to be disciples, led by the Spirit. The Spirit has sufficiently been given to us. The grace of Christ to forgive us, set us free from this life of sin. This has been sufficiently given to us. The justification that's in Christ through faith, right? There's now, no, there, now therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus in Romans 8. So we've been saved from sin. We've been given the Spirit. And now we're asked to walk in and be led by the Spirit and not do the flesh, the fleshly things. Those under the law, yeah, they're going to be still trapped in the flesh because they don't have the Spirit's help. But what about us? We shouldn't be trapped in the things of the flesh still. Because why? We've got the Spirit to walk with us and we've got the Spirit to lead us. Now, in the next verse, Paul is going to set out for us uh, what it is that are the works of the flesh, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and even more like that. And then he's also going to set before us the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And we just ask ourselves, which of these mark our lives? Which of these would people say, you know, does J follow list A or does J follow list B? Okay, don't ask people that. <laughs> uh, but ask yourself, what do I follow? What list do I follow? Do I follow this list of the flesh? Do I follow this list of the Spirit? Which of these things are the marks of my life? And so am I being led by the flesh or am I being led by the Spirit? Because we've got sufficient blessing for us to seek the ways of the Spirit. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Malvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at malvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.